Yeah, we're back and in, in still in Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount. We're almost done with part 2, chapter 6. We're in verses 22 through 24 today. And from last week, I just want to remind you of something. We all treasure something. You agree with that? We all treasure something. Our treasure may be, include people or places or positions or possessions. We studied Jesus' challenge last Sunday that we are to lay up treasures, our treasures, in heaven. What does that mean? To decisively value and invest in what? Eternal things. Invest and value in spiritual things. What are those things? Well, those are basically things that God values. You don't have to worry too much. If you're investing in and valuing the things that God values, you're probably going to be in pretty good shape. Things such as salvation, the gospel, also our stuff. We have stuff, and we can also lay up treasures in heaven by using that stuff for the glory of God. These things are heavenly treasures that cannot be stolen or ruined. That's what the scripture told us. I want to do something different today. I want, I want you to think about this statement. Agree or disagree? Taking a photo today is easy. Agree or disagree? Agree? Do any of you have a cell phone today, smartphone? Pull it out. This could be a long sermon because I'm going to wait till you participate. Let me see it. Don't turn your lights on. I don't want to see it. All right. Get ready to take a photo. Some, I'm going to wait. Some of y'all still haven't done it. Okay. But first thing you need to do is put it on silent. Hello. All right. Y'all got it ready? Now, however you do it, you know how you can zoom with your fingers and stuff? Right here, I want you to take a picture of me. I'll look this way first. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. All right. Right here. One, two, three. All right, over here you should be ready. Whoa, we're ready. All right, one, two, three. People even in the back, they're up there going, oh, turned it sideways. All right. Taking a photo. To, now look at that. Is that the most blessed thing you've seen all day? <laughs> All we have to do is pull out the phone and click these days, right? By the way, it, it, do, do some of you do social media? I want you right now to go ahead and post. I give you permission. Let's start a revolution. <laughs> if you can do that on your phone, I can, but I didn't take a picture. Go ahead and post right now. It's all right. It's not sacrilegious. It's not, we haven't read the scripture. You'd be okay. Go ahead and post that and say, our pastor is stranger than your pastor or something like that. <laughs> Hashtag pastor life or church life. Do, Something. Go ahead and do that. If your head is down, I won't assume you're sleeping. I'll think you're posting that. Some of y'all don't have any idea what I'm talking about, and that's okay. But I'm old enough to know, many of you are not, or maybe you've forgotten, the days when one had to pull out a camera. Have you ever heard of that? You had to pull out a camera. Remember, it was this thing. It had a lens on it. You could change them in and out. Actually, Matthew still has ones today, but I'm talking about back then. I had a, I had, what did I have? I can't even remember now. Anyway, you take it out, and you got a lens you can put on it, and you actually could open up the back of it and put this little canister in it. Are you familiar with that? It had, like, film. Anybody ever heard of that? You have not. You're, like, 10 years old. There is no way. Yeah, you do all that, and you take a picture, and then when you're done, make sure the light didn't get on it, and you take it somewhere, and right? Do you remember those days? You'd take a camera. You'd have to adjust the lens to focus to get the picture correct. Now your phone does it for you. Let's go a step further. 
Some of you will know this. You'd have to make the correct aperture setting. You remember that? Does anybody know what aperture is? If you took, you took pictures back in the day, that's the opening of the lens diaphragm, if you will, through which light, how much light you want to pass through. So not only would we have to focus, but we'd have to set that, uh, what was that called? F-stops. Anybody remember F2.8? 5.6? Some of you do. Wow, this is great. I love this congregation because some of you are older than me and you know what I'm talking about. Wow. Today all we do, snap. Focus is for us, takes care of the light for us. They even have things now that fixes the light or you can focus in. I saw a commercial. There's a thing now that if there's some guy in the background you don't like, you can just remove him from the picture. It's amazing. Why am I saying all that? Because today Jesus continues to expand the subject of our priorities and our treasures. And Jesus teaches us to make adjustments in our lives. If I could say it this way, you'll get the camera reference now. He instructs us to fix our focus so that we can clearly see what is truly valuable and important as opposed to having this distorted, deceived view of life with God. So let's think about priority today. Let's think about focus. Let's look at verses 22 through 24, Matthew chapter 6. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And look at the darkness, folks. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? And then verse 24, no one can be a slave of two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. Let's pray. God, speak to us today. Speak to our hearts. We might say, God, today, open our eyes. Let us focus on your word. Let us be open to what you're going to do in our lives today, in our hearts. Let us not worry about the person on the right or the left or in front or behind or maybe at home or halfway around the country or the world, but let us focus on ourselves and our relationship with you today, here on this day. This is the day that you have made, God. It is a day of salvation. It is a day of rejoicing. It is a day of growing closer to you. It is a day of instruction, as we know your word teaches and corrects, even rebukes. So God, speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's jump right in with the first phrase that we have here in this passage. It's very interesting. The eye of the lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. The opening phrase said by Jesus in verse 22 is an interesting one. Point number one is this, spiritual vision. You probably figured that out by now, spiritual vision. You see, in order to have proper priorities, in order to have proper focus, we need spiritual vision. It's that easy, just like some of us have to go to the eye doctor to get a prescription to get good vision. The same is true spiritually. And notice the metaphor there. Is that an interesting metaphor? Or have you just seen it so long you just glossed over it? But how does the eye function metaphorically like a lamp? 
I think it's a clear metaphor. You see, the eye illumines what is in us, and it also illumines what comes out of us. Think about that for a minute. Like a lamp, the eye makes sight possible, bringing light in and out of the body. The eye, though, biblically also symbolizes what? Our heart. It symbolizes our heart. What does that mean? What we truly believe, what we prioritize, what is going on in our heart, in our mind. We, we see this. That's not a pun. Sorry. We look at this when we think about the eye and this phrase right here. You see, spiritual vision, or the eye, it's the eye of, we could say, of our soul, of the soul. It reveals something about us. It reveals our true character. So let me ask you a series of questions this morning. What, what is your outlook? What do you focus upon? What do we value? Think about that for a minute. What do we value? Where is our generosity? Do we have an eye for God? Do we have the ability to perceive his presence? Wow. I is the lamp of the body. I would tell you this today. Proper spiritual vision brings light. If we look at the passage, it brings light into our world. And if it brings light into our world, guess what it does? It dissipates the darkness that's all around us. I, I, I pray for some of you. You have allowed the darkness around you to just make you fret too much, to make you too concerned about this or that instead of letting God's light just shine over all that darkness. Remember, we just sang what? Our hope is in you, Jesus, Messiah, Lord of all. Hmm. So it dissipates the darkness around us. And make no mistake, there's a spiritual ba battle for our hearts. I don't know if you're aware of that. Even if you've been a Christian for decades, there is a spiritual battle right now raging not to remove your salvation, because that's not possible. If God has truly saved you, no one can pluck you out of his hand. But boy, there can be a battle to mess up your family, your life, your influence, your character. We could go on and on and on. So I ask you this question this morning. Does God have your heart? Are you looking at this stuff, your stuff, in a spiritual sense? Or is it just numbers in a bank account or something? Are, are you looking that way? Do you evaluate treasures as God does? Let me illustrate with Scripture. I'm going to give you a few Scriptures here. In Proverbs 23, 26, we read, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. There's eyes. 2 Corinthians 4, 18. So we do not focus on what is seen but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Remember last week, laying up treasures in heaven? And of course, from Sermon on the Mount, back in Matthew 5, you remember Matthew 5, 8, it said, the, blessed, the pure in heart, do you remember that one? What do they do? They shall see God. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. But the unbeliever does not welcome what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually, spiritual vision. Colossians 3, 2. 
And this kind of summarizes it and summarizes spiritual vision, I think. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. So this first phrase as we jump in is very important as we think about spiritual vision. Where's our focus? What are we looking at? What are we prioritizing? And then we get a couple examples here. I'm glad they start off with the good eye, right? I've been wanting to do this, all right? I've been waiting weeks to do this. Everybody look at me with your good eye. Which one's your good eye? I say that to my kids and grandkids sometimes. I say that. I'm looking at you with my good eye. That means you better pay attention to me. Yeah, okay? That's not what this is talking about. I'm not an eye doctor. I cannot help you out. But I want us to think about this second part of verse 22. You see, the eye here has been described with a number of English words. And I want to remind you again, we don't try to have uh, Greek studies in here or Hebrew studies in here, but I want you to remember your Bible, like mine, if it's in English, it's translated. It's in English, okay? It wasn't written in English, and so we need to think about that. There's a number of English words in English translations used to describe the eye. In mine right here, it says the eye is good. It's the Greek word hoplus. It can mean this, good or sound, healthy, single. Well, that's a hard one. Some of you have that in your translation. You've got to really work to figure that out. But if you'll think about it with these other words, it makes sense. Single, unclouded, clear, generous. We find all, that, all those words in our English Bibles. These adjectives describe something. If we're thinking about spiritual vision, they describe spiritual health. So it would cause me to think, and you, how healthy are we spiritually? As a church, sure, but as individuals. There's an inference here of sound, proper functioning with specific reference to the eyes. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. One scholar defined it this way. Clear, sincere, open, above board, honest, with no hidden agendas, without folds. I like that. You see, this word that's translated here is a word that reflects our attitude and our treatment of other people. Other words that are closely related uh, to the word hop loose mean liberality and generosity. We see that in scripture. You see the treasure principle is tied through this passage as well, yeah. The single eye, or the good eye, or heart, is a generous one. Another scholar states it this way. A single eye is one with clear vision, while an eye with, I can't ever say this word, astigmatism produces a blurred vision. Well, we know that's true in the physical realm, don't we? But also in the spiritual realm as well. You see, we need to desperately, we, we need this simplicity, this focus, this clearness, this health, it's simple. Jesus has boiled it down. There's not seven steps or 40, 40 days of this or that. It's very simple. Man, if it's good, if the vision is good, your spiritual vision, if it's unclouded, if it's single, if it's clear, wow, then there's health there. It's simple. Now, the root word for hoplus renders this way, to knit, braid, weave together. I thought about getting one of the ladies to come up here with long hair and braided, but you've seen that before. It gives us a picture of what? It give, this, this root word gives us a picture of a 
woman's beautiful long hair woven into a beautiful braid. Now, we had four boys, so we, I never got to participate in this, but how many of you had a daughter and her hair was long enough and you got to braid it? Anybody? All right, you'd have to teach me how to do it. But I think it's amazing how that is. I'm not putting down people that have short hair like me, okay? But it gives us that picture. Well, why is that significant? Because our hearts are woven with God's heart when we have this eye, this heart, this single heart or eye that is focused on doing what is right and caring for other people. When we have a good or single heart or a good or single eye, our heart is knit with God. It's braided with God. That's what the Word is telling us here. And also with others that love the Lord. Now let's think about that just for a minute. How you doing? As I like to say, I don't say it as much when I first came, but how's that working out for you? You can tell me all this and that, but how's that been working out for you? Are you knitted with the Lord in this way? Are you knitted with others who love the Lord? Listen, I'm going to just tell you straight up, this year may be a year for you. If you've still got some issues with others who love the Lord, you need to work that out because you're not totally knitted if you can't get past that. My, how we shoot our wounded and shoot each other. It affects our gospel witness to church. I want you to hear this. It affects our gospel witness if we cannot be knitted together with others who love the Lord. Let us keep the main thing the main thing and not worry about these things. And some of us have histories that we need to put to bed. Amen? Yeah, not a lot of amens there, but it's true. And church, you have done great work since before Lynn and I came and since we've been here. There's been great healing. But let us continue. The single eye, the good eye, not with all this other stuff getting in the way. Now, this kind of aspiration or living was true of the early church. Let's look at it. Let me read for you Colossians 2.2. You know, Paul planted a lot of these churches, didn't he? And he spoke to them, and here he does. He says, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love. See, it doesn't say joined together in your ism or their ism or your doctrinal platform. That's very important. But it says joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery Christ. You want the knowledge of God? You want more knowledge of the mysteries of the scripture? Well, we need to be joined together in love more. And it was true of them. Acts chapter 4 verse 32. Now the large group of those who believed were of one heart and one mind and no one said that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. It's a good eye. That's what I want. What about you? And it's attainable. Jesus teaches it here. And then we get to verse 23. Point number three. Now it's not the good eye, but it is the bad eye. Take a look at it. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Exclamation point. The adjective used here is obviously a different word. It's poneros, 
meaning, are you ready? You may have some of these words in your English translation. Evil, yipes, vicious, malicious, deceitful, worthless, or degenerate. That pretty much covers it. I don't want that bad eye. What about you, right? Wow, look at that. When it was used, to, this word was also used to describe a tree. When it described this bad tree, it was translated as worthless or even rotten. But there's more meaning. Relating back to last week's study as we looked at treasures, in the New Testament and in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, we find this word, and often it means, uh, it regularly means stingy or grudging. A bad eye was a phrase in use in those days among the ancient Jews to denote a person who might be envious or covetous or having a disposition like that. Basically one who was miserable at his neighbor's prosperity. One who loved his own money, one who would do nothing in the way of charity for God's sake. This is not a sermon on generosity, but this fits with treasures as we work through this. And I think we'll see the context when we get to the next verse. But we'll do that in a minute. We're not going to get there yet to verse 24. So could we all agree today that a bad eye is bad? Or whatever you have there, evil, man, degenerate, all that kind of stuff. Okay, and let me just tell you, there's plenty of bad eyes going around in our world today. All right, so let's agree that a bad eye is a bad is bad. In fact, according to the second part of verse 23, did you catch it? It leads to darkness, and I would say it this way: if I was translating, deep, deep darkness. This should cause us to redouble our efforts to share the good news about Jesus to share God's rescue plan that he has for our world. You remember John 3, 16? Yeah? And 17 and 18 are great. But let's go three verses later. Listen to John 3, 19. Jesus speaking. This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Bad eye. Bad eyes that need to become good eyes. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Speaking again about people, sinners who have not been redeemed. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then in Ephesians 4, 18. They are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. What a picture, what a contrast between good eye, bad eye, spiritual vision. So again, I ask you, where's your focus? Where's your priority? How's your spiritual vision? Well, let's move on to verse 24. Point number four, one king in the castle. Sounds weird, huh? But think about it. A castle can only have one king. Would you agree with that? Don't come up here and give me, well, if it was this or that. No, I mean, look at history. A castle can only have one king. There's trouble if there's two kings. A castle can have one king. And I want us today to do this. I want us to think of our life today as a castle. Some of y'all need to bow up right now. Come on, get up. Get up tall in your chair. 
and you're going to be a castle, right? Rock solid. We think of protection. You can put a moat around it if you want, a drawbridge, do all that, all right? But think about that. Surely you've seen uh, at least Prince's Bride or one of those movies, right? Okay? A castle. Think of that. And Jesus makes something very clear in this verse as we look at it. Our lives can only have one ruler that we serve. I didn't say it. Jesus did. Here's the thing. It's in the Bible. It's a truth. It's an everlasting truth that cannot be denied. You can try to deny it. You can try to avoid it. You can try to do these things. But it is true. One ruler that we will serve. Look at verse 24. No one. It doesn't say people with a bad eye. It doesn't say someone of a different political party. It doesn't say your neighbor who drives you crazy. It says no one. No one can be a slave of two masters. These are the words of Jesus. And then look, look at why. Since either he will hate one, love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he drops the hammer. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. I want you to think about verse 24 just for a minute. I'm going to spend a little time here today. Now, some of your Bibles have the word serve there, okay? Not putting your down your Bible. You know what the best translation is? I need to remind you of this. The best translation for you is the one you'll read every day and study, okay? That's, that's just how it is. But the word here is doulos. Are you familiar with that word? Doulos. It's not, um, it, it literally means to be a, not a servant, to be a, not even a bondservant, to be a slave. Doulos. It's a very strong Greek word, and that's the way it's most accurately translated as slave. Now, I know not everyone has done that. And listen, when we translate it as slave, it's not out of insensitivity to our history of slavery. It's something totally different. It's out of a commitment to the word that was used that accurately conveyed, remember their time, the brutal reality of the Roman Empire. But something more than that, it also conveys something else. It also conveys the total and complete surrender that Jesus calls for as Lord. So think of it that way. See, folks, it's not a question that you or I will be a slave to something. That's a reality. It's a question of which master, which ruler. It's a question of divided service. I have spent too many of my days as a Christian in divided service. What about you? You don't have to raise your hand. Have you had good days and bad days? Have you had good months and bad months? Have you had good years and bad years? Divided service to me is just about as bad as no service. Because you can't be a slave to this and a slave to that. There is one Lord. Jesus, Messiah, Lord of all. Wow. And God, here's part of the truth. God must, he must, by his character being creator, by what he desires, by what he ordains, by what he fixes, he must be the undisputed, unchallenged master of our lives. Don't go over to that church or that church and let them water it down. No, no. Don't say, well, love wins or this happens. No, 
He must be the undisputed, unchallenged master. There is no plan B. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Listen to this. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And we always think about how are we doing with our body. Listen, don't miss that fact. It, we're not our own. Jesus should own us. Why? Because he paid the price. So let us glorify. Many of you know Romans chapter 10. We, we use it in explaining God's rescue plan, don't we? We use it in soul winning. We use it in sharing Christ, God's plan with other people. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, do you remember? Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. I want you to notice in the scripture, though, when it says confesses Jesus as Lord, it's a quotation. It's a quotation. And it's there for a reason. It does not say, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Savior. It doesn't say that. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And then we get in a few verses later and it says, everyone or whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will what? Will be saved. We love that verse, don't we? I mean, thank you, Lord, for saving me. But too many of us and too many people in the American church has, have thought, well, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Savior and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's good. That means believe all the stuff that's in here. You'll be saved. That's why there's so many people who think they are Christians in our American churches. And guess what? You are not because Jesus is Lord. You must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, not Savior. We should not ask, what do I want to do with my life? If we're truly a believer, we should be asking, what does my Lord want me to do with my life? You can only serve one Lord. There can only be one king in your castle. There only can be one ruler. And I'm not talking about when we sin and mess up. Yes, God is faithful to forgive us. But I'm talking about our overall life. What is in us? Is he Lord? Slave is a good word here. As a slave of Jesus, we take no time off. Now think about slavery. Whether you want to go to the Roman Empire or other empires or the American history, there's no time off, right? A slave does not get PTO. Some of y'all know what that is. A slave does not get sick days. Or vacation days. Is that right? As a Christian, if we're truly a slave to our Lord Jesus Christ, we take no time off. Does that mean we can't go on a vacation? No. But it means every day we are glorifying God. We don't take any time off. We continually serve our master each day. And Jesus makes it clear that we cannot be loyal to two masters. And he gives a great example, doesn't he? You see that example? It's God versus money. See, he's continuing the treasure theme through this part of the Sermon on the Mount. And we see it. 
Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, Lamar, prove it. Why, why, why can't I have more than one master? I'm doing pretty good in life. I love the Lord, and I love this and that, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm like a good water skier or snow skier. I got both of them there and there, but I'm hanging in there and doing all that. Listen, James, in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 8, very succinctly blows any idea we would have out of the water. It simply says this, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You may think everything's going great. You may be fooling everyone, but listen, Scripture's clear. If you serve or are a slave to more than one master, you are double-minded and you are unstable in all your ways. And the Greek word for unstable means reckless, uncontrollable, or fickle. What a description of those who try to serve more than one master. I love this old African proverb. Are you ready? Some of y'all won't get it, but a lot of you will. The man who tries to walk two roads will split his pants. Some of you got it. it it's funny, but then it's like, then the zinger comes out. You're like, whoa, that could be me. Watch out. A castle can have only one king. And Paul asked, we'll remember this from our study in Galatians, Galatians 1.10, Paul asked this. For am I now trying to win the favor of people or God? Or am I trying or am I striving to please people? And listen to what he says. You may remember it. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. He got it. He got it. The guy that was helping to kill early Christians. He got it. He wasn't just saved. Jesus is not just saved. He confessed Jesus as Lord. He got it. Wow. So I would say to you today, let us not be divided. Let us be a people who are, under, let us not be divided. You remember in, in the beginning of Reve, the book of the Revelation, uh, the, the letters to the churches. Well, there was a letter to the Laodicean church. Let me read Jesus' words. It'll be red letter in your Bible if you have one like that. Jesus' words in Revelation 3, 15 and 16. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, that'd be like serving multiple masters, wouldn't it? Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. Now, maybe it didn't say that in your version. They were trying to be nice to you. That's what the word is. Think about it. I don't enjoy vomiting. Anybody? <laughs> who, who enjoys that? Now, don't say that. You may have a condition. All right. No, no. It's a, that's horrible. I don't want to be vomited out of the mouth of my Lord. Don't be lukewarm. Don't be divided. You see, God wants us to make up our mind. Part of fixing our focus, part of priority, part of having this good eye, part of serving one master, the Lord Jesus Christ, is that we must make up our mind to whom we're going to serve. 
and I constantly in my life go all the way back to the Old Testament. Some of you know where we're going. To the book of Joshua and what he says in chapter 24, verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Now, by the way, he's speaking on behalf of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, not just Joshua. And he says this, choose this day whom you will serve, whether in, in their context, whether the gods of your fathers serve in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then he says this, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I will be a slave to the Lord. I will not take time off each day. I will surrender completely to what he has required of me, not what the world has required or some book has required or some preacher has required, but what the Lord has required of me. I will serve the Lord. I'm going to close in this way today, and I hope you'll get it. Maybe you won't. I'm going to use something that's right in our midst right now. But let me just say this. It's a kind of hard sermon. Maybe you think it's a negative one, even. I don't know. Not if you've got a good eye, it's not. Not if you're serving the Lord, not other things. So it, maybe if you're thinking, man, this is a bad sermon, or this is a really rough sermon, maybe you need to take an inventory. Here's what I want to say to everyone today, though. Everyone listening here, everyone listening online today, I want you to hear this. It's not too late. You. It's also not too late for anyone else. It's not too late. As long as you are breathing, and I'm assuming you all are today, it's not too late. God has a plan for you. Some of you, you probably, no, none of you probably know this, but I'll share something about me. I love football. I did not say I love the Denver Broncos. I will not say that. One more game, and then we're done. No, but I love football. My wife at times might have said that that's my master. Do not comment, okay? But I love it. And I was mesmerized last Monday night, Monday night football. Me and my oldest son who was in town were watching. Lynn was in and out to see that. So if you don't know, I don't, I don't want to explain it too much, but if, if you don't know, a young man, 24 years old, probably had 3% body fat, muscular, made a tackle, stood up, and then literally went, did you guys see it? He literally went, bonk. And we, we, in our house, we're watching, okay, it's got to be a concussion. Was it a neck? Look. And they show the replay. I'm like, no. And then my, my son, the doctor, he said, I bet it's cardiac. And that's what it turned out to be. But here's what I want you to say. Here's what I want you to see. It was, can we say theater? I don't mean that bad. It was theater. Did any of you watch it live? Were you not mesmerized to see these big, huge human spectacles, specimens, crying. I'll never forget the, perhaps the best quarterback in the league doing this. Guys holding hands, some having to turn away as CPR was done on this young man, their teammate. 
And here's what happened. They gathered to pray. And the announcers didn't know what to do. They said pray. And they kicked it back to the studio. That was mighty low of them. In the studio, the three people in the studio were saying pray. Are you catching this? The other team, it just went on. And I've been tracking it since, how long has that been? Six days? That's still what's going on. Pray. I'm going to tell you something. When you need, the, and these young men, uh, some of them were believers. I believe their coach is a believer, but many weren't. When you need a miracle, when something happens, it's not too late. But when something happens, humans, even who don't follow as their master, Jesus, don't send good thoughts or good vibes. That drives me nuts. Just send out your good thoughts. I'm sending good vibes. You see it on Facebook and stuff all the time. But not in this instant. In this instant, people, believers or unbelievers, were all united in saying, go to the throne, go to God, pray. Why? Because in that moment, I think they realized, I can't do a thing about this. But perhaps God can. How in the world can big, ugly, hairy men who don't follow the Lord think that I need to pray to God? Ecclesiastes 3. Are you familiar with it? There's a time for this, a time for that. And we get to verse 11. And it says this. God has placed, listen to me, especially if you're wondering about your relationship with the Lord. God has placed eternity in our hearts. Well, what does that mean? Think about the eye, the heart, the mind. Even if you say you're an atheist, my Bible tells me, that God has put something in you that realizes if you would tear the layer, peel the onion, tear it away, and be honest, there is a longing for a creator. There is a longing for God. And I believe it is the God of the Bible. But then the scripture goes on to say, but he cannot discern or discover it. Which tells me something. God has placed that and these guys and other guys, even a guy named, a former quarterback named Dan Orlovsky, I don't know if you saw that, on ESPN, as liberal as that is, stopped and said, we're just going to pray right now on the NFL live show. And he's not fired yet. He was on the, the ball game last night. He didn't get fired. He stopped. He's got to be a Christian. I mean, you should look it up. What a great prayer. And others. And it wasn't just this altruistic thing, hey, uh, it's, it's about DeMar, not about playing another game or whatever. No, I think people genuinely were gripped with, where's the hope? I can't do anything. I guess I should pray. Listen, it's not too late for you or for anyone else. We're reminded in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, what? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's the power to salvation. And yet, it reminded me of something. And I know you guys are going, oh, here comes some more evangelism. I'm sorry. Let me remind you of this. It says God has placed eternity in man's heart, but he can't really discern or discover it. Why? Somebody needs to tell the story, the good news, the rescue plan of Jesus. Why? Because Paul says it is the gospel. It, that's where the power to save is. 
So I want you to think about that. Why would people, even that maybe don't have God in their life, want to turn to God at a time like this? Because he's the only one who can do anything. Scripture tells us with God, nothing is impossible. I want to be more like this guy, Dan Orlovsky. He didn't just ask for people to pray. On national TV, live, he said, let's pray. Risking losing his job, he acted. That's how I want to be. You know what that told me about him? Because I really didn't like him that much before. I thought he was a, his voice, his voice is kind of whiny and... I know he was a quarterback, you know. And sometimes, you know how they have, on those shows, they have to pick point, counterpoint? He always picks the wrong point, I'm telling you. <laughs> but I want to be more like him. I don't just want to ask for prayer. I don't just want to do all that. I want to do something. And he reminded me of something. In church, I want you to hear it. Some of you are retired. Some of you work in a business or you own your own business. Some of you are in schools, at your home, your neighborhood. We could go on and on and on. We cannot compartmentalize our faith. Now, ladies, that's a little easier for you because what's the book? Women are like, men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti. Have you ever read that? Ladies, you're a little more entwined. But guys, we got to get, we, we get our act together, men. We're like waffles. We can compartmentalize our life, right? We can go on like, eh, well, I'm fine, even though this one area might be falling apart. We can't compartmentalize our faith. What an opportunity. Hmm. The eye, the heart, our life, our soul, our minds, good or bad, Full of light in and out or deep deep darkness Wow! no one can be a slave of two masters so let me ask you today who's the king of your castle and I want to ask a tough question I've agonized over it If Jesus is not Lord of your life, are you truly saved? Don't come at me with church membership. Don't come at me with a baptismal certificate. I want you, don't come after me with family heritage. If he's not Lord of your life, are you truly saved? There's a chance you may not be saved. There's also a chance you may be so full of unconfessed sin but either way wouldn't you like Jesus Messiah Lord of all to do a work in your life I know I would if we are going to impact our world if we're going to impact our neighborhoods here in our beloved city Albuquerque Jesus must be Lord and that light must go out not darkness let's pray God, may those who truly exhibit your lordship in their life be encouraged today. God, may those who perhaps are lukewarm, as I have been in my life at times, may we be renewed 
to be a slave to you and you only. God, may we learn even from our carnal, lost culture that with you nothing is impossible and that we should turn to you each and every day no matter what crisis or what victory it is and glorify you and lay up treasures in heaven and serve you and only you. May we do that and see the abundant life and see what you can do in our lives. So God, I just pray that you would touch us powerfully, customize your words right now into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.